This is Minda Wilson. Welcome back to Urgent Care. I have a very interesting topic uh, to me and to a lot of people. Uh, I'd like to welcome my guest, Cindy Perlin. She is an expert on uh, managing chronic pain. And I'm very excited to welcome you to the show. Thank you for coming, Cindy. Thank you for inviting me. So how did you get involved in this area in the first place? Well, because of my own chronic pain, when I was uh, much younger than I am now, when I was 25, I hurt my back while I was running and ended up with three and a half years of being in total agony and barely able to function. And I had to find my own way in terms of healing because the doctors weren't very helpful. So I learned a lot in the process, and then I had already been trying to uh, become a social worker, so I focused my efforts in terms of my clinical work on helping people with health challenges and uh, just continued to learn more about it and to get better myself, and then eventually I wrote my book. Now, what's the name of your book again? It's called The Truth About Chronic Pain Treatments, The Best and Worst Strategies for Becoming Pain-Free. I see. So what was the one thing that turned it around for you that started putting you in a positive direction when you were suffering with your chronic pain? Well, fortunately, a friend of mine recommended that I read a book called Anatomy of an Illness about a man who laughed his way to health after he was diagnosed with a progressively crippling degenerative joint disease, and he pointed out the importance of the mind-body connection, and he mentioned biofeedback, which is um, you um, use electronic instruments to measure your physiology and learn how to control it, and it's all about managing your stress. And so I went for some biofeedback sessions, and immediately things turned around for me because I felt so out of control of the pain. I felt like my body was attacking me. And as soon as I found out there was something I could do that could make it better, my pain went down 50%. That's, and um, I just gradually got better. But you said there, there are a lot of treatments that people have probably never heard of, including biofeedback. What, what other things should people consider using? Well... I like to think of it as coming at pain in two ways because it's a very complex phenomenon. So you have to come at it at the mind end. Even if it didn't come about because of stress, pain is very stressful and it causes changes in your mind. So you need, you need some sort of strategy that's going to help you get better control of your mental state. So things like meditation and relaxation training and biofeedback, cognitive behavioral therapy are very useful. Uh, people who develop chronic pain um, often have trauma in their background, and that sometimes creates the pain or keeps them from getting better. So getting um, some sort of trauma therapy can be very helpful. And from the body end, um, there's physical therapy, massage, um, nutritional therapies. Often pain is a result of nutritional deficiencies like vitamin D or magnesium deficiencies. And then there are things like medical marijuana that can be very helpful. Uh, there's a very um, little-known herb called kratom 
that has many of the same benefits as medical marijuana, and that can be very helpful. So there's many, many things, and, and the idea is to put together a program for yourself that addresses the underlying causes, and that can help people recover. They don't have to live forever with chronic pain. So essentially, uh, the way you would outline a program then is you have a, a box, a, you know, you have a list of options, a book of tricks or whatever, and then people have to take control of their own destiny. They have to pick and choose based on how each of these options works well for them. Is that what you're saying? Right. Right. And, and you know, people know more about themselves than a total stranger would. So looking at your diet, looking at your history, looking at your stressors, and, you know, putting together a program that works is the key. And so um, when you talk about trauma in someone's background, what, what exactly do you mean by that? Well, a lot of people have childhood trauma, they've been physically abused, sexually abused, emotionally neglected, maybe they grew up with domestic violence. So those kinds of things in your history predispose you to chronic pain and any kind of chronic illness because what happens is that you, you grow up with the um, sense that the world is not a safe place and you have a hyper-aroused nervous system and that puts you at risk for a lot of things because your physiology is different from a person who isn't hyper-aroused all the time. And a relaxed mental state is optimum for staying healthy and healing. So the hyper-arousal can be combated through things like biofeedback and becoming aware of your, you know, the vigilance, this extra level of vigilance. Is that, is that sort of how it works? trying to understand yeah. the connection. So biofeedback can be very helpful. Relaxation training can be very helpful. But if you've had chronic childhood trauma, it can be very difficult. So there are very specialized uh, psychotherapy techniques now. Um, there is um, energy psychology techniques that help people process the um, unprocessed negative energy from trauma that's stored in the body. And there's uh, EMDR, which stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing, which helps people process whatever trauma they've had. So by putting that in your past and understanding at a deep level of your mind that life is safer now, that helps your body to stay more relaxed. There's also a very specialized biofeedback technique called neurofeedback that works directly with the brain and retraining the brain to calm it down. Because people who've been traumatized and people who have been in chronic pain for a long time, it actually causes changes in the brain that, that keep the brain um, regenerating and oversensitizing to the pain. So if you can calm the brain down by this specific neurofeedback training, you can also uh, turn chronic pain around and start to heal. So how would someone uh, access these kind of, all these kind of treatments? Um, I, I, you know, is there an association or a place where people would go? 
Well, I think that my book is a good start because it um, not only tells people what the therapies are, um, but there's a lot of information about where to find them. And I am working on something new. It's not operational yet, but hopefully it will be in about a month. And it's an alternative pain treatment provider directory. Uh, the website is going to be paintreatmentdirectory.com. And people will be able to go to that website, learn about different therapies, search their local area for uh, what kind of providers are in their area who can help them. So generally, I would, I would guess a lot, are these treatments covered by insurance? or? Um, unfortunately, a lot of them are not. And that is the biggest obstacle that people are going to find to getting better is that many people, especially people in very severe chronic pain, have significant financial challenges. And oftentimes their insurance won't cover things like physical therapy or chiropractic for more than a few sessions. Um, sometimes they won't be able to find psychotherapy in their area. Um, and that's partly because insurance companies have cut back so much on the fees that they will pay that a lot of people have had a difficult time staying in business. But there are many areas that are very resource-rich, especially around the bigger cities. And um, I'm also working on a legislative proposal to require insurance companies to pay for these treatments. And if people go to my website, which is becomingpainfree.com, and click on the petition tab, they can... Um, follow a link to a petition on change.org asking uh, for legislation to be passed that would require reimbursement for these services. That would be fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So please, everybody is listening, go to becomingpainfree.com and sign my petition. Right, because one of the things that's really interesting, at least uh, has become a national crisis, is the use of opioids. I mean, people... You know, people are just overwhelmed by how many people are, are, are have become addicted to those kinds of drugs. Yeah, and you know, the whole problem started in the mid-90s when the um, pharmaceuticals came out and said that opioids were a good solution to chronic pain and not addictive, and everybody bought that lie. And insurance companies stopped paying for other things and only would pay for drugs. And that has persisted even though it's become really obvious that opioids can be very dangerous for many people. And the other side of the coin is that all of these chronic pain patients who've been told to use opioids and maybe aren't addicted because not everybody gets addicted, they're just being um, abruptly cut off from these medications and offered nothing else. So right, because... because it makes you detached from your body if you're on opioids. So something may be going on and you may not be in touch with it. You may not be aware of it if you're taking those kinds of drugs. Well, yes and no, because the opioids don't completely eliminate pain. But the problem is that when you depend on them, opioids never get at the root of the pain. So by just taking opioids, your pain is going to persist. It's not going to get any better. And the research that is available on long-term use says that people who use opioids actually end up in more pain 
than people with similar conditions who never use them. And then you take a person who's dependent on them, you know, they've become physiologically used to taking the drugs, and you take them away, they go through withdrawal, which is a horrible, horrible experience, which is the the part of becoming dependent that turns people into addicts because if they stop, it's so horrible that they seek out whatever they can get for relief, and sometimes that's street drugs. So you're saying that in addition to creating an opioid crisis, they're creating a crisis of uh, of other drugs as well, that that's the right, other consequence. Right, because people are, you know, heroin is really available, readily available everywhere on the streets now in communities at every economic level. And people who are desperate for relief will go to the streets sometimes. Not all of them. Some of them will just suffer. Um, and I'm certainly not recommending going to the streets and finding heroin. But some people will do that and um, end up with much more dangerous drugs. Heroin is actually pretty similar to prescription painkillers in terms of its chemical composition. So it does the same thing. But street drugs are often laced with very dangerous other drugs that make them even more deadly. Yeah, because the inactive ingredients are, you know, not monitored. Well, it's not just the inactive ingredients, but, you know, they're often laced with fentanyl, which is 100 times more powerful than heroin. Um, That's actually what killed Prince. If you remember, Prince died of an overdose of opioids, and he um, he had fake prescription pills stored in all kinds of bottles throughout his home, and unbeknownst to him, they were laced with fentanyl, and that's what killed him. Oh my goodness, that's that's shocking. I I, I didn't know that. So yeah. um, is so is there ever pain that's not treatable that that needs you know that's a result of some kind of physical condition that can't be uh, reduced significantly reduced or eliminated? Well, I think there are uh, pain conditions as a result of injury or sometimes disease, that can be very difficult to manage and recover from. But the kinds of treatments that I'm talking about can help a lot. And then if you need to take something for pain relief, medical marijuana is infinitely more safe. No one has ever died of a marijuana overdose in the history of the world. Um, So it's much more safe than opioids. And it's also a much more natural treatment because it contains compounds called cannabinoids. And our body makes cannabinoids for pain relief and and to reduce inflammation and to uh, calm us when we're stressed. So medical marijuana is really the drug of choice for chronic pain. And um, fortunately, uh, more and more states are legalizing it. Hopefully the federal government will you know, turn things around pretty soon. And is, hopefully insurance will start covering it. Is there, like, like some of the things that I wonder about marijuana use, because I, you know, I don't honestly know much about it. Um, is there a particular kind of marijuana that has more cannabinoids that 
would be better for pain? Are you know, what about the delivery system? Smoking's not good for you. Are there other delivery systems you can use that would make you not like to suffer from the effects of smoking? How, how does that all work? Oh, okay. Well, that's a lot of questions. So yeah. I try to take them one by one. So there are different strains of marijuana. There's two different main species, uh, indica and sativa. And, um, they have varying amounts of THC, which is the, the compound that makes people high, and CBD, which balances out CBD and, or THC and is more calming and uh, works better for pain relief. And then there's, um, now there's all kinds of hybrids where people have combined and crossbred the two species so that there's different strains of marijuana that have different amounts of THC and CBD. And incidentally, uh, the whole plant marijuana has about 400 different compounds that might be beneficial. We tend to concentrate on THC and CBD, but there's other cannabinoids, there's other antioxidants in marijuana that are um, very health-promoting. So um, in, in the regulated market of marijuana, when there's medical marijuana, when there's um, regulated recreational marijuana, strains are labeled for um, how much THC and CBD they have, and people can you know, get advice from their doctors, get advice from the dispensaries about which strain is best for them. Some of it is a little bit of trial and error. Sometimes people use um, different strains in the morning when they need more energy and a different strain at night when they need to go to sleep. So, you know, there's a lot to it. But in a regulated market, you can pick and choose what you're using and experiment and find the best combination. Um, in terms of the delivery systems, you don't have to smoke marijuana um, to get the benefits. If you inhale marijuana, it goes very quickly to your brain and provides very quick relief, and you can get a much better idea of how much dose you should take. Uh, because when you eat it, it takes 45 minutes to an hour to have an effect. And when you're first starting out, it's hard to know what your dose is. So, so you have to start small and go up. When you're inhaling it, you can take a puff, wait a minute or two. If you think you need more, take another puff. There's a safer way to inhale marijuana than smoking it, and that's vaporizing it. Vaporizers are specific devices designed for the purpose, and what they do is they heat the marijuana enough to release the vapors from the compounds but not burn the leaf, so you don't get the irritants from burning the leaf that are the problem with smoking. That's interesting. I didn't, I didn't know that. So, so uh, is, is that a device that's available? Can one purchase of is it like my idea of a vaporizer is what I put in my kids room when the you know used to put water in it to make steam when they were sick so is that yeah no this is a different kind of vaporizer so it's a little you know tube that you can inhale from you put the marijuana in a little well in the vaporizer and you light it and then you inhale the the fumes through through the tube or 
um, whatever you want to call it, the vaporizer. Wow. So it's it's different, but, you know, basically they also call it vaping, you know, so you're basically just getting the vapors and you're not getting any burned material. And I think for people suffering from cancer, that would be a great way to get it delivered to them as well because, as you point out, it's less irritating. Right, right. And the interesting thing about marijuana is that, you know, they've discovered that when people smoked it, they didn't increase their chances of lung cancer despite the fact that they were taking in lots of irritants. And the reason is because marijuana actually is um, anti-carcinogenic. It actually protects against cancer. And there are reports of people using it um, as a cancer treatment and healing um, aggressive brain cancers with it. Amazing. That's really interesting. So how would that work if you have a brain cancer, the, in the, cam- the chemicals will help fight the what's going on in your brain? Is that how it works? I don't understand. Yeah, yeah. so, um, yeah, because the, the compounds in marijuana are anti-cancer, if you take marijuana in any form, um, it will help fight cancer, it will kill cancer cells. So you can, if it's brain cancer, and I haven't looked into this very thoroughly because my focus has been mostly on pain, but I would think that if you inhale the marijuana through vaporizing or smoking, it does go directly through the to the brain. So that would be uh, the most effective way of using marijuana for brain cancer. So interesting. So let's say I come to you and I'm a person... I've been in a car accident, I have, you know, my discs were injured, I have a, you know, degenerative disc disease or something like that. So walk me through the process that you would recommend I go through to sort of uh, try to figure out what the best pain relief opportunities are for me. Okay, well... First off, the fact that you have degenerative disc disease um, or a damaged disc may not be the pain generator. Mm -hmm. Uh, What's been discovered through MRIs is that many people who have um, diseased discs, so-called diseased discs, don't have any pain. It's more likely that the pain is from muscles. So if you've been in a car accident, you might have, say, a whiplash injury which injures the neck muscles or a lower back injury where the muscles are injured. So one of the first things I, um, as a mental health provider, because I'm a licensed clinical social worker, that I would look at is, is there um, psychological trauma from the accident? Mm -hmm. Because if someone's been traumatized by a potentially life-threatening accident, that trauma lives in the body and keeps the person um, over-aroused, and um, that prevents recovery both physically and emotionally. So I would use techniques like energy psychology techniques and um, EMDR to help the person process that. I would also look at, um, you know, what kind of body therapies that they'd have, they've had uh, to address the physical side of it. So, you know, I might recommend that they seek physical therapy or massage. 
Um, I particularly like massage when there's muscle injuries. Um, not Swedish massage, which is just for relaxation, uh, but deeper massage techniques like myofascial release techniques. Um, I particularly like rolfing, which is a very, very deep body work. Um, and then, you know, I might recommend if it's legal in the state to seek out medical marijuana. Or in places where it's not legal, you can get CBD oil, which is um, made from hemp, and it doesn't have any THC. It just has the CBD, mm -hmm. and um, that can be very helpful for pain relief. Yes. Um, and then, you know, nutritional deficiencies might be affecting their ability to recover. I want to make sure that their vitamin D levels were optimized, and any doctor can order a lab test for that. Um, you can use magnesium topically or orally um, to relax muscles and relieve pain. So there's a lot of different things that people can do. I, I just think it's fascinating how all this can come together and that the opportunity to, without being part of a, you know, like surgery or something like that, it, there are a lot of options before you get to that point. You know what I'm saying? Right. I, yeah, so many people are further harmed by surgery. Uh, the failure rate for um, for fusion um, fusion surgery is very, very high. It's about fifty percent. And oftentimes, when surgery fails, they suggest another surgery, and the failure rate for that is even higher. Interesting thing about back surgery is the more trauma you had in your childhood the less likely you are to have a successful back surgery. Wow, that's pretty interesting. So people have to evaluate their own, their own psychology before they even should consider having surgery. Right, because, uh, you know, a psychological intervention might actually work better than a surgical intervention. And, you know, no matter how bad the pain is and no matter how, you know, um, disease, the MRI shows your disc to be, the older you are, the more likely you are to have degenerated discs, bulging discs, herniated discs, and it may not have anything to do with what you're going through. Hmm. Very interesting. If people want to reach out to you, uh, how would they do that? If you go to my website, becomingpainfree.com, uh, you can contact me through the contact form on the website. And, um, you know, I will respond to you uh, very quickly. <laughs> and do people you see you? Yeah. Can people see you as a patient? Like, how do they, are you in a particular air practice area? I'm in the Albany, New York area. Mm -hmm. And um, so if somebody's in that area, they can see me in person. I can also uh, do sessions over Skype or FaceTime. Mm-hmm not biofeedback sessions because that involves instrumentation, but certainly, you know, the counseling, the um, referral process, uh, you know, recommending treatments that they can try. I do offer a phone consult to people out of the area to help them find some direction um, in terms of where they should go for pain relief. And how do they find your book? Uh, it's on Amazon. That's probably the easiest way to get it. And it's, again, it's called The Truth About Chronic Pain Treatments. 
Well, it was very, very interesting talking to you. I think a lot of people suffer chronic pain and a lot of people need to feel empowered that they can take control of their pain and sort of defeat it. If, uh, and once they feel that way, it can be life-changing. Don't you agree? Yes, yes. I mean, that's what happened to me. I found something, you know, to grasp onto that was very, very helpful. And if I hadn't read that book, I don't know where I'd be today. You know, so I know the power of a book to change a life. That's really why I wrote my book. Yeah, it's just an amazing story. My guest today is Cindy Perlin, and this is Minda Wilson for Urgent Care. You go to the doctor and get a diagnosis you didn't expect and you don't understand. If you're like so many of us, your first move is to search the internet for information on your condition. Wouldn't it be great if you could get real information? That's where Medivisor comes in, a completely free website that delivers the most up-to-date information from doctors, hospitals, researchers, and clinical trials worldwide. Medivisor is free, private, and personalized information about your specific medical condition. It's literally as simple as going to medivizor.com and signing up for free. Medivisor is free, easy to use, and saves you hours searching for information you can't find on your own. Medivisor is a private, personalized, and HIPAA-compliant resource. Medivisor, improving the lives of people with serious or chronic medical conditions and those who care for them. Your personalized medical information is a simple click away at medivisor.com. M-E-D-I-V-I-Z-O-R dot com. <laughs> 